Hey, this is Becca Irway. I'm the worship pastor of Pathway Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and starts you on a path of purpose. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, Pathway. Man, it's good to see everybody. Glad you guys are here. And, uh, man, just give yourselves a hand for braving the weather, the cold, the ice. Like, man, you guys are my heroes. Uh, God loves you extra special today. Not really. He loves you even if you would have stayed home, to be honest with you. But I love you more because you're here. So whatever that means to you. But, man, we're so glad that you guys are here. Appreciate Seriously, uh, thank you so much for coming out and, uh, and the weather and all that. We really appreciate that. Super exciting. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to personally welcome you. Say thank you so much for coming today. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor. And we are almost a year and a half uh, as a year and a half year old as a church, however you want to say that, Uh, but we're uh, just a little over a year old, and we are all about leading people on the path of purpose. That's what we're all about in a nutshell, and uh, super, super excited. Man, last week was an incredible day for us. Last Sunday, um, we had more people than almost we've ever had. We had eight baptisms, which is more than we've ever had, so awesome stuff that God is doing here. And uh, really, really exciting. So anyway, awesome stuff. And today, we're kicking off a new series that's going to take us through March called We Can't Stay Here. We Can't Stay Here. We're going to look at five main reasons why we can't stay here. And this isn't just for us as a Pathway family, although that's a big part of it. It's for you individually, and it's for your family and you in your own life that sometimes we kind of get stuck in a place of comfort instead of getting out of our comfort zone and saying, man, I feel like God is doing something different in my life and answering that even in the midst of the sometimes the confusion and the chaos and all the questions. It's better just to step out and trust God. And that's what we're going to look at today. So really, really excited. We're going to look at five main reasons today. The first one, and it's, it's somewhat kind of the most important to an extent because today we're going to look at that good is the enemy of great. Good is the enemy of great. There's a book that was written uh, several years ago called Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's an awesome book. I encourage you to read it if you haven't or listen to it uh, on tape. It's really, really good. But in the first, the first chapter, the first sentence, that's what he says is good is the enemy of great. I believe that God wants all of us to not just be good, but to be great. I think that God does not just have good things for me. He has great things for me. He's not just a good God. He is a great God. He is an awesome God. He is not a B average God. He is an A plus plus God. He is not a 3.5 GPA God. He is a 5.0 GPA, which is not even on the scale. Like, I don't know, they keep increasing it every year. When I was a kid, 4.0 was as high as you go. Now kids are getting 4.5. How does that even work? I don't know. I was never even close to that, so I didn't worry about it. But man, God is an awesome God. He wants awesome stuff for us, not just to settle and be satisfied in life and in where we're at. And that's what we want to look at today. You know, um, when my wife and I first got married, we had a tube television, the old tube TVs. And that's what we had. It was my television that my parents bought me when I went off to college. And it was like maybe a 30-inch tube TV, which was, you know, those were pretty big back then. And uh, so it survived all four years of college and the first five years of our marriage. And so everybody else was, that's when flat screens came out and they're upgrading. And we're like, no, we're poor. And so we just got, a, you know, the tube TV and we would watch it and we would have to use binoculars to see the TV because it was so small. And then they came and it was in college. 
color, so that was nice. And then they come out with HDTV, which rocked my socks off because it's in high definition. Because then I can see the hairs on the head of the news anchor people. Like, it's so, it's so awesome. And, and then it's so cool. And so then we upgraded and we got a 55-inch HDTV. And I thought that I was like just one step below heaven. This is so cool. I can see everything. It's crystal clear. This is awesome. I got great picture, man. I can see the football when they throw it in the air instead of just a fuzzy blur. You know, like it was so great. I could see the laces on the spiral, you know, and then we had that TV for almost like uh, the, like the last seven, eight years. And then when we just moved a few months ago, a few weeks ago into our house, we, I told, I told my wife, I said, you can do whatever you want in this house. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you paint the house. I don't care where we put the bedrooms. I don't care at all. All I care about is one thing. I pick the TV. Other than that, you do whatever you want. And that's exactly how it's worked out. And she's happy and I'm happy. So there's some marriage advice for you. And so I get the TV that I want. I go and I pick out the best TV that they have at a place called Best Buy. It's a win-win. Best Buy, best TV. Everything's great. I get the TV and, and when I'm looking for it, it says it's in 4K HDR. I don't know what any of that means, but it got me excited. And it looked really good on the wall. And I thought, man, this is great. 4 KHDR. I didn't know what this means, but now I can see the individual things on the football, the individual brown little spots of the pigskin. I can see it now, not just the laces. Like I can see the nose hairs of the newscasters. This is so amazing. This is real life stuff here. And so we get it and we and we we pound it on the wall. We think, man, this is great. And then a few weeks ago, I was back at Best Buy for something different. And then they've come out with a TV now that's OLED or QLED, which makes my TV look like a piece of junk. It really does. And so I'm thinking about taking a brick and throwing it at my TV and then calling insurance and claiming an insurance claim on it. Like, just blame my kids. I don't know. And those of you that work in insurance, you didn't hear that. But that's like, like I just, I'm like, man, this is even better. And when I go to my parents' house, they have the old school big screen TVs, like from the 90s, the big screen TVs. It was like a 55-inch back in the day, and these are behemoth, massive TVs. They look like they belong on Easter Island, right, with those big, giant sculptures. I mean, this huge thing, and they've got it set on top of this electric fireplace in their living room. It's a fire hazard waiting to happen, this huge TV, and every time I go there, it's one of those things when you turn it on, it's like you might as well go take a nap for an hour and a half because it's like the bulb has to warm up really slowly, and then an hour later, it's like, okay, well, now I can watch the game, or I can watch the movie, or whatever, and, and, and I'm like, guys, would you just get a TV? You can afford it. I know you can. I'll even loan you some money so that when I come, I can watch TV in style here. Like, please. And I'm like, no, no, no. We like it. We like this TV. We're happy with it. Everything's good. And I'm like, yeah, this is good, but there is great out there, and I've got it, and I want you to experience the greatness of enjoying television the way God intended, which is in 4K or QLED. Like, come on. Like, don't settle for good TV. There's great TV out there. And like, and instead, they're kind of stuck in, well, this TV works for us, and we're comfortable with it. We know how to work the remote, and we're happy with all this stuff. And, and I'm like, no, there's better stuff out there. This will change your life like it's changed mine. It's Jesus, my wife, and 4K HD. Like, it's changed my life, and it'll do that for you. And they're like, no, 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 we're just happy with the way it is. And I think if we're not careful in life, we can be the same way. 
I think if in life that we kind of go through phases where it's like kind of everything is lining up perfectly in our life. We got a great job. We make a decent amount of money. And man, our marriage is doing good. The kids are doing good. It's kind of everything is jiving. Everything is clicking along. And before we know it, if we're not comf- if we're not careful, we get in this comfort zone and we don't want anything to change in our comfort zone. Man, I got a good group of friends right now. I really don't need any new friends. I'm going to a good church. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable in my job. I'm comfortable with this. I'm co- like everything is comfortable and I like it. And then if you're not careful, all of a sudden some uncomfort begins to come your way because God says, hey, what if you're not careful, you're settling for good and I've got great out there for you. And so what you're doing is you're settling for what I just meant, something good in your life, and you're settling for that instead of the greatness that I have. And God begins to send some uncomfort your way, and you begin to get mad at God. Well, God, why did I get fired at this job? And then later you find out because God had a greater job for you. Or, man, God, I thought things were good with my kids, and then something happens, and then actually, yeah, this brought me and my child closer together. Like, you don't understand that sometimes that comfort, God brings uncomfort to make us better. There's an example of this in the Bible, in the New Testament. The Bible has New and Old Testament. In the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament is called Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 17, it's called Matthew because he was the guy that wrote it. Matthew was a direct follower of Jesus. Jesus recruited him to be his follower or disciple. And so Matthew writes down a lot of what Jesus says and does. And in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to read a really interesting story that actually happened. And it's really, really fascinating. We'll unpack it in a little bit. This is a great time to download the Pathway app in the App Store. It's totally free. All you got to do is just download that, follow right along. And everything that we're going to have on the screen, you can have right there with you. You can take your own notes. And uh, it's great for small groups as well. So I encourage you to follow along. Matthew chapter 17. Let's look at verse... One through six. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elisha appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three buildings or shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. And then skip ahead a little bit to verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. What's amazing, and just to unpack this a little bit, and, and, and it might sound like it's sci-fi channel here, what's going on, but they're at this mountain, and, and Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Jesus is kind of three closest guys, his three closest friends. He takes them up to this mountain, and as Jesus is on this mountain, it says that he was transformed. It doesn't mean that he grew like a third eyeball and a third arm coming out of his chest. It doesn't mean like that. It just means that his face shone brightly, and, and like, well, why? What does that mean? It's a 
alluding to after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Because when you read that ahead in the Bible, when Jesus comes back on, on resurrection on Easter Sunday, this is the similar thing of what we read about his body. It was what the Bible calls a glorified body, what our bodies will be like in heaven. And, and without getting to a lot of detail, it was an amazing glimpse into that. And it says Moses and Elijah showed up. Like, why those two guys? Well, just quickly, they were really big figures in the Old Testament. And, and Jesus was Jewish, if you didn't know that. And, and uh, the New Testament is somewhat of a Jewish book a little bit. And Matthew, the, so they're writing to Jewish people. And so for Jewish audience, when they say Moses and Elijah, that would have sent off all kinds of bells. Like, oh, wow, this is, they're validating Jesus. Like, this is a real thing. This is a big deal. They're two of the most popular guys in the Old Testament. They're there. And you might be like, well, what are they talking about? Well, in another part that tells kind of the similar story in Luke, it says they were talking about his departure. And it doesn't mean like, you know, Jesus is packing his bags. It means his departure for the cross, that that was kind of the next step for Jesus was going to the cross. As this is happening, like they're up there and Jesus is talking to Moses and a lot guys who have been gone from the earth for thousands of years, haven't been around, but they're really famous guys. And Jesus is on the mountain. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' body begins to like glow and just begin to have this heavenly look to his body. And then Moses and Elisha appear, this amazing, amazing sight. And in the middle of that, in the middle of the conversation between Peter or between Jesus and, and Moses and Elisha, Peter interrupts them because Peter has no manners at all. His mom didn't raise him right. And in the middle of this amazing experience, Peter says, Jesus, hey, I know you're talking, but this is so cool that I'm here. I can't believe it. Like, look at yourself, man. You're glowing. This is amazing. And, and Jesus, this is so cool. There's Moses and Elijah. I've read about those guys. Jesus, could we just stay here forever? I'll build three massive buildings for you guys, and we'll just stay here. I never want to leave this mountain because this is awesome. Awesome. This is heaven on earth right here. We've got it made. And in the middle of, G of Peter interrupting Jesus, God interrupts Peter. I th think it's so hilarious. Like, like, could you just imagine if you're Jesus in front of Moses and Elijah, and, you're, and they're talking about, you know, going to the cross and all this really cool, amazing, deep stuff. And in the middle of that, this Yahoo over here behind the corner named Peter's like, hey, Jesus. Guys, I'm so sorry. Just give me a minute. And then, like, my dad's going to interrupt him. And then God is like, you know, Peter, be quiet. Listen to Jesus. Close your mouth. Open your ears. Like, it's hilarious to me. He interrupts. Peter interrupts Jesus. And God interrupts Peter. And it's funny to me that, that Peter says, I want to build three shelters here. And they just aren't little tents. These are shelters. These were buildings. These were memorial stones. What Peter, in effect, is saying is, I never want to leave this spot ever. This is perfect. This is utopia for me. Everything is great that I've ever wanted. It's right here. And then notice what it says in verse 14. When they come down off the mountain, what's waiting on them? A large crowd. And it wasn't a crowd wanting Jesus' autograph, maybe some of them, but this was a large crowd that each and every one of them had a large need, I believe, especially this man. Then a man comes up in the middle of the crowd and says, Jesus, look at my son. He's demon-possessed, and the demon is trying to have him commit suicide. It's very serious. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. Jesus, I'm desperate. I have a need. The first thing, the principle that I take from this is, again, good is the enemy of great. 
Peter wants to camp out. He has this amazing experience with God, this incredible experience with Jesus, and he wants to stay there forever. When Jesus says, no, Peter, we've got something greater to do down in the valley. Like, Peter, I know you think this is great, but there's greater things ahead in life. You know, when for me, when I, when I started dating, I thought that was the greatest thing ever. Man, I love dating. It was so much fun. I thought life can't get any better than this. Going out with a different girl all the time, which was not true. I couldn't get girls to go out with me. I couldn't pay them to go out with me. But I just thought, well, this is cool, even when one would say yes out of the thousands of no's that I got. And you laugh, but it's true. And so, like, you know, and, and this is so cool. They can't get any better than dating. And then I met my wife. I thought, oh my goodness, I can date her the rest of my, this is way better than dating all these other losers that call me a loser. Like, hey, how do you like me now? You know, like, and so, man, I get to date this one person. This is better than dating. I've got it made. I'm dating the one person. And then, if that's not going to, now we're going to get married and I can stay with you for forever. And you can never leave me and I'll never leave you. This is better than dating. This is so much awesome. This is so much better. And then we get married and I think everything is great. And then we have a boy. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I've got a son. He looks nothing like me, but I've got a son. This is so awesome. I love this kid. Having a baby and a baby boy is the greatest thing ever. And I loved that for about a year and a half. And then we had my daughter, and that's the greatest thing ever in my life. Like, like boys are good. Daughters are better, right? Like, I love my, I love my little girl so much. And, man, this, she looks like me finally. I've got a kid. that This is great. Man, life can't get any better than this. You know, if we're not careful, what I could have done is say, I just like dating. I just, I'm comfortable with that. I'm happy with that. I'm good with dating because I'm comfortable with it. I would have never experienced the greatness of being married. And in our marriage, I could have said, oh, well, we're married and, and it's just good, just the two of us. And, and you know, and forget the kids. And I would have never known the greatness of having kids. And someday, you know, we'll know the greatness of them growing up and the greatness of them going off and having lives of their own. And listen, at any point in life, you can stop and just say, oh, this is good. I think what a lot of people do is they put a period where God wants a comma. And I wasn't very good at English, but I know that on the very basic level. The difference between a period and a comma, a period says, end of sentence, end of story, we're done here. A comma says, hey, here's part of the story. Let's have a brief pause and then hear the rest of the story. For a lot of us in life, if you're not careful, we want to be like a Peter and put a period. God, I'm on this mountain with you. God, everything is great. It could never get any better than this. Man, I love Pathway the way it is. I love my family the way that it is. I love my job the way that it is. Everything is good the way that it is. And God's saying, you're trying to put a period there when instead I just want a comma. Like, yeah, that's great, but let's have a brief pause and enjoy it for a little bit, of course. But I've got greater things for you ahead. My question and challenge to you is, are there things in your life that you're trying to put a period where God puts a comma? Where you're trying to say, no, 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 God, this is good right here. And God's saying, that might be good for you, but I've got greatness ahead. Like, don't get comfortable where we're at. You can't stay where you are. Don't be like a Peter and say, this is good. I just want to stop right here. When Jesus says, no, there's more in ahead for you. We like to camp out where we're comfortable. The other thing that I think is so interesting, the other principle, is that God has more in store. Like, I just know that. God has more in store for you. He has more in store for Peter. Like, I just think about this logically. 
What if Jesus would have listened to Peter right here? They're on this mountain. There's Moses. There's Elijah. Jesus is, is having this almost heavenly body. It's a cool, cool thing. It's an amazing experience. And Peter, again, because he's rude, he interrupts them. And what if Jesus would have said, you know what, Peter? Like, that's actually not a bad idea. We've got Moses and we're on this mountain. Nobody could really bother us because we've hiked all the way up here. And so, yeah, let's build three massive buildings here and let's just camp out. Like just me, you, James, John, uh, Moses, Elijah, and we're good. Like let's just spend the rest of our life here together on this mountain. What if Jesus would have said yes to Peter? Well, the re immediate result would be, to be quite honest, there's a man whose son would have committed suicide because he was demon-possessed. There's an entire crowd of thousands of people who are hurting and desperate and broken and lost that would have never found hope and healing and peace and joy. That's the immediate effects. Another effect is you and I wouldn't be here today because if they would have stayed on that mountain, Jesus would have never went to the cross and paid for the penalty of my disobedience to God, which is called sin. He would have never resurrected from the dead and then because of that, I could never have a relationship with God. Neither could you. Had Jesus listened to Peter, it has eternal consequences for us today. I just want to tell you a very cautionary tale. Be careful when you begin to put periods where God wants to put a comma. Be careful when you begin to say, God, I'm comfortable here in the good spot. I really am not concerned about the great spot. Be careful where you're at because God has greater things for you. God has more in store. I think for a lot of us, this, by the way, is not my sleeping bag. I don't sleep in Spider-Man sleeping. And if I did, don't judge me. But this is my son's. And, and so I think what a lot of us tend to do, kind of like a Peter, we begin to say, God, this is so cool, man. Everything at church is great at Pathway. And it's kind of so I can kind of know everybody. And man, God, this is great with my family. We're in a good groove. And I'm good at my career. And, and everything is kind of comfortable, God. I just want to stay right the way it is. I just want Pathway to stay exactly the way it is. I just want my family to stay exactly the way it is. What you're doing is saying, man, God, what I'd really like to do is build a bed or build a house right where I'm at in life. I want to put a period here. And what God is saying, no, 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 you're trying to make a bed where I want a sleeping bag. What God is saying is you're, you're trying to build a house where I just want you to make a tent. Instead of saying, I want to permanently stay here in the goodness, God says, listen, get your sleeping bag and not the permanent bed. Get the tent and not the building because I want to prepare you not just for the good things in your life. I'm not just a good God. I am a great God. And if I'm a great God, I've got great things in store for you. But you'll never experience if you stay where you're at. Peter, like I know that you think this is good up here, but Peter, you'll never experience the goodness of what I have if you don't exchange the bed for a sleeping bag. Sleeping bag says, hey, we're on a journey. Hey, we might stay here for a night or two, maybe even a week, maybe even a month, but I'm not staying here for forever. You know, when we moved in our house, and some of you helped us, and again, thank you so much for helping us, but when we moved in our house, honestly, the most difficult thing to move in my home was our bed like our mattress. It took, I'm not kidding, it took four grown men. I wasn't one of them. Just look at me. It took four other grown men to move our bed. It's so heavy. It's huge. 
Listen, we, what we tend to do is when you do that in a bed, it's, it's a lot harder to move a bed than it is a sleeping bag in life. And what you want to do is instead take the sleeping bag and say, God, if you want me to camp out here instead of build a building, I will. Man, God, on this mountain with you, with Moses and Elijah, this is so awesome. This is so cool. I can experience you in a way like I never have before. God, you're filling me up in a powerful way on the mountain. God, thank you so much. I, I do want to stay here for a couple of nights. I do want to have a, a comma where we can have a brief pause here together. But God, this isn't a period because I know you've got greater things in store. I think that if Jesus, and, and, and not that I'm going to correct Jesus here because that's be blasphemy and I don't want you to throw stones at me, but I, I kind of wish Jesus would have said this to Peter. Peter, in the story of your life, this very moment on Matthew chapter 17 on this mountain, you think is the greatest moment of your life right now. You think being with me and Moses and Elijah, you want to stay here forever and build these buildings. You think it's the greatest moment of your life. Peter, can I just tell you something? For the next 2,000 years after this moment, people are going to talk about you, and they're going to talk about your life. And when they do, Peter, this moment right now will not even make the top five moments of your life. When they talk about the story of your life, this won't even make the top five. Peter, I got news for you. Only two people in the history of this planet are going to walk on water, and you're going to be one of them. That's what they're going to talk about, not this moment. Peter, I got news for you. If we stay up on this mountain, what's going to happen in about a year from now is you're going to stand up. This is found in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. Peter, you're going to stand up one day when God moves in an even greater way than this, when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. You think this is cool, Peter? You haven't seen anything yet. You wait till the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes and you experience God like you never have before, you're going to stand up on a rooftop and you're going to preach to 3,000 people and they're going to give their life to Jesus and they're going to become my followers and they're going to get baptized in one single day all because you're trying to, you're going to put a comma and not a period. You know, like the top five things of your life, this isn't even one of them. You're not even going to be remembered for this moment, Peter. I've got greater things in store for you. Peter, on the scale of your life, this is just a good moment. You've got some great moments ahead. You're not going to be even remembered for this. Can I just tell you and just encourage you? I think God is saying that to every single one of you right now. Hey, look, I know that you think right now things are really good, and they are, but quit trying to build a bed or a building and get out your sleeping bag instead. Because in the highlight of your life, when you're 100 years old and sitting in a rocking chair drooling all over yourself, that the, the moment that you're thinking about now, like, oh, everything is good, it's not even the top five of your life. Because if so, what's the point of living? No, God has greater things in store for you. God has better things, has bigger things for us at Pathway. As awesome as last Sunday was, we baptized eight people, more than we ever have before. We had more people almost than we ever had before. And as great as that was, we're in a comma right now. Oh God, that was so cool. We're going to enjoy it for a few weeks and celebrate those lives that are changed. Thank you. But God, we're not putting a period on there because next time we do baptisms, instead of eight, let it be 18 people. God, like instead of, you know, just give us more. God, we don't want just a good time. We want a great time. God, I'm not after your goodness. I'm after your greatness in my life because you're a great God. Can I just encourage you and tell you, you have permission to ask God for great things, not just good things. But it's dependent on you getting the sleeping bag instead of the bed.
It's dependent on you packing away the building and leaving it behind and getting the tent instead. So listen, for me in my life, I was raised in church. I've had some of the most amazing encounters with God ever. And there's times where I just want to stay in those moments. And at times I do. But then about a year later, six months or two years later, whatever it is, I have a moment with God that's even better than what I had a few years ago. I really believe my best days in my relationship with Jesus are ahead of me, not behind. If they were behind, I wouldn't be here. I can promise you that. What's the point of living? I believe the best days of Pathway, even though we're almost a year and a half old, are ahead of us, not behind us. I believe that God has greater things, and that's what I'm pursuing. I have permission to ask for God's greatness. I'm not after his goodness, his greatness. But it's all about the sleeping bag and not the permanent building of our lives. I really believe that God, if he could say to you like he would of Peter, this is not even the greatest moment of your life. I've got more in store for you. You think pathway is great now. Oh, you wait till two or three years from now to where my vision is we don't just do baptisms once every three or four months. My vision is we get to do it once, like every single Sunday. That's, my, that's the goal. That's the vision. Every Sunday we're doing baptisms. That's what we want to get to. Man, it's that someday we outgrow this space. And what does the next one look like? I don't know. But man, I want God's greatness in my life. The two kids that I have now are really great. I was going to say they're good, and then you think I'm a bad parent. They're really great. But I want more kids, man. I want more of that stuff in my life. And, and I, as great as my life is right now, and, and in my opinion, it really is great. I know that I've got greater things ahead of me because I serve a great God. And when I look back at my life, man, I believe I haven't even lived my top five yet because I serve a great God. Listen, God has more in store for you and more in store for your family and more in store for Pathway. That's why you can't stay where you're at. That's why we can't stay here. And this is the other principle. We need to start thinking we, not me. Think we, not me. The thing with the difference between Peter and Jesus, well, one, it's just Jesus, right? But the difference between Jesus and Peter, Jesus is always thinking, we, not me. How do you know that? Because he says it like all the time. <laughs> like, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for other people. I didn't come to, to ser be served by people. I came to serve. Peter here is thinking me. God, this is great for me. God, I'm on this mountain where you're at, and this is good for me. And Jesus says, Peter, I want to shift your thinking a little bit and refocus it. Because when we go down this mountain, there's a large crowd of thousands of people who are hurting, who are broken, who are desperate, who are lost. Quit thinking about how good this makes you feel and start thinking about all the crowd down below. Peter, I know that this makes you feel good on the mountain, and that's okay. And it's designed to make you feel good. But Peter... The reason you're on the mountain today, right now in this moment, because I want you to get filled up with my presence. I want you to experience me in a more powerful way than you ever have before because I'm not having you stay on the mountain. No, no, no. The purpose of the mountain is to prepare you for the valley down below. 
The purpose of the mountain in your relationship with God, when everything is great and you feel God like you've never felt God before, and man, you're closer to God, and boy, your family is great, and everything at church is great. The purpose of those moments is to prepare you that you can be filled up with God's presence, be filled up with Him so that you can go back into the valley and pour that back out into the hurting, into the broken, into the desperate, into the lost. Listen, like, like I hope that none of you ever think, oh, I just wish we could stay here on a Sunday all week long, right here in this cafeteria. I hope you don't think that way because I don't think that way because Jesus doesn't think that way. I wouldn't want to stay here for forever because listen, what we do right now, literally in this moment, what you're doing is getting filled up with God in a powerful way, getting filled up with his presence so that you come off the mountain of this cafeteria on a Sunday into the valley of where you work Monday through Friday. And in the valley, you're surrounded by coworkers and employees and family and friends who don't know Jesus and they're hurting and they're desperate and they come to you and say, hey, my son, I'm having issues with him. I don't know something's different in your life. Could you pray to him? I don't even know that I believe in prayer, but I know you do, and I'll give anything a shot. Would you help me out? There's a large crowd waiting for you tomorrow morning when you go to work, when you go to school, when you drop the kids off, when you go to the gym, when you're around your family and friends. What are they waiting on? So then on a Sunday, you got filled up in this place so that you could pour it out into the people in the valley this week. God has more in store for you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to do great things in your life. But don't ever think me. This is good for me. I'm comfortable here. I like it. I like the church the way it is. It's, I can get to know everybody. No, no, no. Oh, man, I, I get to start. I get to do this. I get No, no, no. It's not about me and my comfort. It's about we, and how can we reach people for Jesus, and how can we serve people? How can we bring people to Jesus? How, like, I'm surrounded every day by a crowd of people that are hurting and broken, and I have the answer. And to not give the answer of Jesus is the most selfish thing I could ever do in my life. No, I've been filled up on a Sunday, so on the mountain, so I can pour it out on Monday in the valley. That's what Jesus is trying to get Peter to do. Think we, not me. Who do you know that's in the valley right now that is hurting, that is broken, that is lost, that you can bring them to Jesus? I think in a way, and it's not in there, but I think in a way it's almost like Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, here's what I want you to do. As cool as this moment is, don't keep it to yourself. I, yeah, I want you to enjoy it, of course. Enjoy it. But Peter, I want you to go back off this mountain go into the valley where the hurting people are, bring them back up to me on this mountain. In other words, Peter, I just want you to be a mountain guide. I want you to help people find purpose, find hope, find joy, find forgiveness, find love. That's what you and I are called to do every moment of our life, is not stay on the mountain where you're at, not just settle for good, but instead, get off the mountain, go down in the valley and bring people back up to Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. So who do you know? Maybe write their name down right now in your phone or on a piece of paper and pray over that every single day until the day you've brought them back up the mountain to Jesus. That's what we're challenged to do. That's what Jesus wants us to do in this moment.
my vision of our church. I've said this really from the beginning. I haven't said it as publicly, not for any special reason, but man, I would love it. I just think it'd be so cool if we could be a part of a church where 10% of our community comes to that church. That's what I've always envisioned. The population of Yukon is roughly 30,000 people. That's a church of 3,000 folks. You think, oh man, that's a really big church. You could think of it like that. Or you could think, well, that's just 10% of our population. What about the other 90%? What about the other 90%? Oh, we got 10%. Oh, look how great our church is now, bro. We got 3,000 people. We're a metal. This is awesome. No, no, no. Don't think me. Think we. Think, oh, this is just 10%. Oh, my goodness. We've got a bigger job to do. There's, there's 90% of people that aren't going anywhere, that don't know Jesus. Oh, man. Like, like 10%, we think that's big. God isn't thinking 10%. He's thinking about the other 90% that aren't here yet. Listen, Pathway is not a church for you. It's a church for those who are not here yet. That's what we're all about. It's not for you. It's not for your comfort. It's about those who don't know Jesus yet. It's about for every person that is not sitting in a chair next to you. That's what Pathway's about. That someday every chair in this cafeteria would be filled with people who know Jesus. That's the vision. Listen, it's not about my comfort. If it was my comfort, I'd be wearing khakis on Sunday. I'm white. I'm as white as white comes. I got on skinny jeans today. I sat up here a year ago. I would never wear skinny jeans. They got me wearing skinny jeans. And I'm not even comfortable with it. Why? Because they say, hey, man, make you look cool. People come to Jesus. Whatever. If that's what it takes, man, like I'm all in. It doesn't matter about my comfort and my preference. It matters about people coming to Jesus. It matters about relationships with him. It matters that every chair is filled. It matters that 100% of this community knows Jesus because that's who he died for. Not just the 10%, not just the 90, but 100%. Like, let's think God's greatness and not just his goodness. I said this about a year ago, and it's been a while, and I just want to end with reading you a vision letter. We tweaked some few things on it. But I read this about a year ago, and I'll probably read it at least once a year, sometimes more. But in the start of this new series, Why We Can't Stay Here, I think it's so critical that you hear the heart and the vision, the culture where we're headed as Pathway, our vision letter for Pathway Church. I envision a church where each week people experience and feel God's presence in a powerful way, where prayer is the defining movement of who we are and everything we do is bathed in prayer, where each week lives are changed, where people are giving their lives to Christ and generations to come will be changed. Each week, we become a closer family of unity in Jesus' love. Each week, we focus less on ourselves and more on those who don't know Christ yet. Each week, children realize God loves them, created them, and has a wonderful plan for their lives, where being in God's house is the highlight of their kids' week. A church full of people giving and serving each other in love. A church so full of God's presence, deep love for one another, and passion to reach those who don't know Jesus that this church cannot be ignored. A church that doesn't care about people's past, only their God futures. A church that influences the surrounding culture for Christ instead of being influenced by it. A church that influences entire communities, cities, nations, and the world. 
A church so powerful, instead of begging people to come, people are begging to be part of it. A church exactly like Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. A church so large in size that it's a resource to the nation and world for experiencing God's presence, finding God's forgiveness, and encouraging love to fellow believers. A church where the helpless, helpless and hurting find joy, love, hope, and forgiveness. A church that deeply cares about the needs of its community. A church that equips and trains Christians to change their communities for God's kingdom with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. A church full of those who found their purpose in life. A church full of those equipped to fulfill their potential. A church of innovators. A church that is irresistible. A church that is part of the fabric of the community. A church that supports a Christian college that sends out the best and brightest to change the next generation for Christ. A church that God is proud of. A church that is selfless and externally focused. A church that is always looking ahead instead of reminiscing about the past. A church that is constantly growing and never satisfied. A church that always believes God for big things and is never intimidated. A church where saved people serve people. A church that isn't here just to fill seats, but fills hearts. A church where we always focus on who we're trying to reach, not ourselves. We're not here to build another great church. We're here to build great people. A church that is truly God's family. Yes, the church that I see is Pathway Church. That's why we can't stay here. Because your neighbors in your subdivision, because your coworkers, because your family, your friends, your kids' family, your kids' friends at school, the other moms and dads that you're around at school, they don't know Jesus. That's why we can't stay here. As good as this is, it's just a comma. Good is the enemy of great. God has more in store. Begin to think we not me. I don't think of myself as the pastor of just this group of people on a Sunday. Every time I walk into a store in Yukon, I think I'm the pastor of this community. I'm the pastor of this store. They don't know it yet, but I'm their pastor. They don't know it yet, but every time I drive by, I pray over their business. I pray over that school. The teachers in that school, man, they don't know it, but they belong to Pathway. They're just not here yet. Like, that's my prayer. I think we, not me. What an incredible message. Thanks again for joining us today here on the Pathway Church Podcast. If you want someone to agree and pray with you, or if you are looking to take the next step in your relationship with God, please reach out to us by texting PODCAST to 405-400-0339. We can't wait to connect with you. Did you know you can follow along with the sermon notes on our app? Just download the Pathway app by searching Your Pathway Church, all one word, on your iPhone or Android. Then click Sunday Notes. You can also follow along with us on Instagram and Facebook at Your Pathway Church. Well, it's been a blast hanging out with you today. See you next week right here for another life-giving message.